in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. I've got to begin this morning by uh, asking you perhaps an unusual question. Um, how many times this week have you been given an alert message or an alert tone by one of your many electronic and mechanical devices? How many times have you been given an alert? And another question is this, is did you find those alerts helpful or annoying? Let me just give you a little example of what I mean here. As part of Rosemary's job, um, she has a car supplied to her by her work. And I hopped in it to drive it just recently. And before I even got the car out of the garage, it gave me a number of alerts and warnings. And I want to tell you what they were. This is what happened. This is really what happened. This is a car that has a keyless entry. So you've got this little doodad. You don't even have to touch it. You just walk up to the car door and you can put your hand on it and beep, beep, it opens up and so on. Well, I did that and got in. And then there was a little thing that flashed at me that I had to push the button to start it. But it wouldn't start because a little thing saying the key's not in the car. The key was in Rosemary's bag and she hadn't yet got into the car. When she got in the car, then the car started. That was the first alert. The second alert was that I didn't shut the door properly. You've got to give it a bit of a, you know, you've got to shut this. It's a solid door. So I, I had to, so the sign was saying, shut, you know, shut the door. So I shut the door. The third alert was you haven't got the handbrake off properly. So you have to push and push the thing down so that the handbrake is completely disengaged. Fourth alert, put your seatbelt on. Well, I thought I already had that on. Put your seatbelt on. Fifth alert, the people in the back haven't got their, their seatbelts on. There's no people in the back, but there's still little, little symbols that flash at you and say seatbelts in the back. So you kind of do that. Um, as I said, we didn't have any seatbelts and, uh, and uh, in, uh, nobody in the back. So Now you'll be pleased to know, we actually did drive the car out of the garage, got there before it beeped at me again, alerting me that I was too close to the wall of our fence. I was a long way from that fence, but it was saying to me, you're too close to it. You know what I mean? All these things. So what do you think? Are these alerts, are these alerts and warnings, are they helpful or are they annoying? And I can see people nodding and doing all kinds of things. And I, I'm pretty sure that if I asked, you know, you'd, you'd be, uh, there'd be a, a number of opinions here about that particular topic. I won't even go near the mobile phone. There's a, there's a couple of alerts on there now, and I'm not try, quite sure. It tells me I haven't got enough storage on my iCloud. So if someone knows about that, please see me afterwards. <laughs> but you know, I'm really hopeful this morning that all of us here will recognise how helpful and even essential are the alerts and warnings that we receive from God's Word in relation to daily living in this world. Amen? Aren't we glad? Aren't we glad we got these alerts and these warnings? They're not annoying. They are so essential for us as we live in this world every day. For our God is at work in this world. He's at work in this world. And what I still find so incredibly amazing is that he's chosen you and me. He's chosen us to work in us to work through us and to work with us to accomplish his work. Isn't that amazing? Lord, why did you do that? Do you ever ask God those questions? I do. 
You could have done it so much better in using up, use your angels. They'd do it a lot better than us. But no, God's chosen to use us, you and me. And our theme this year, as you know, it's about working with God, the first part of our whole mission statement, working with God. And so God does, and so God teaches us, he equips us, he encourages us, he strengthens us, and because we have a God who loves us so deeply, he, he will also alert us, and he warns us about the dangers in this world, even before we leave the garage of our home. To go out into the day that he's planned for us, he wants to alert you. And give us warnings. And we need to be listening to him. Even before we leave the garage. And so as we continue uh, from last week with this new series in the epistles of John. um, We find this attention grabbing alert right here in this scripture. That I've already read to you. But look at verse 26. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. And then we get to John 3. John says this in verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. These are the alerts that we need to take seriously and essential for us to know. What I love about this is here we have this Apostle John. This Apostle John, now himself, now an old man. He's a guy that's in his late 90s. That's where he is. He's this old man and he, he loves the Lord, been with the Lord all those years that he was and the one that was called, the, one, you know, the disciple that the Lord loved, all those things about John. He loves the Lord, Lord loves him and he loves God's people so deeply and he's so concerned about God's people in this letter. In fact, Barclay says that there was someone who described these letters as a loving and anxious sermon. A loving and anxious sermon from a very concerned apostle for his people. Um, And he's concerned about the dangers that believers faced. Particularly with this heresy of Gnosticism, uh, which began to flourish back then in the late 80s and 90s AD. And Pastor Darrell spoke briefly about uh, what some of those... uh, points of this false teaching was about but essentially the main thrust of this false teaching called Gnosticism um, is about that salvation was a product of knowledge and the Greek word for knowledge is gnosis uh, hence Gnosticism Um, and it advocates that the spirit is entirely good and that matter including the human body is entirely evil So when you think about that, everything spiritual is good, everything to do with matter, physical stuff, is entirely evil. That's the main essence of this Gnosticism. Therefore, if you think about that, here's the implications. Therefore, God, who is spirit, could never have put on human flesh. And so Christ's humanity is denied. And so is his deity. That's where these ones are. This is the false teachings that John is referring to and the teachers he's calling them anti-Christs but before we go any further with that I want us to I want to draw our attention to what the Spirit of God is alerting us to through the Apostle John in these verses of 15 and 16 before I go down to talk about these anti-Christs I want us to look at this let me read it to you again do not love the world or anything in the world If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives, lives forever. So what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with this world? Why does John throw out this alert to us? This warning. Do not love the world or anything in the world. But doesn't God love the world? The Bible says he does. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You see, <clears throat> Scripture also teaches us that there are two main dimensions of the world, of the word world. In the Greek, the word uh, world means is cosmos, K-O-S-M-O-S, cosmos. And, and the one that God loves and for which Christ died is about human beings. Human beings that he created in his image and who were lost to him because of their sin, our sin. And of whom he redeemed through the sacrifice of his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross and shed his blood for us, redeeming us back to himself. That's the world he loves. And that's the world that we're meant to love and make Christ known to. That's the world that God loves. That's the world that he wants us to love and make Christ known to. And just by the way, by the way, just on that note, have you had the joy sometime this week? Have you had the joy yourself of being able to tell someone the difference that Jesus has made in your life? And that he can make that difference in their lives too? Have you had that joy of doing that? The opportunity, the privilege of doing that, <clears throat> not necessarily having to preach to them, but just simply saying to someone, you know what, Jesus, I've found that Jesus makes all the difference. He's changed my life. And you know, just by simply, sometimes just saying a simple sentence like that, that person will go, wow, tell me more. And you just don't know what doors will open, but I just want to put that out to us, folks, because that's, that's the message people need to hear. And I believe people are wanting to hear something that's real and authentic. Someone who really does make a difference. And we had that opportunity to do that. I don't want to make anyone feel guilty and you're going, oh boy, I don't think I have. I'm not after doing that. I'm not about doing that. But I just want to ask you, has that desire been on your radar this week? That's what I want to ask you. And on your heart. And you know, if it hasn't been, then ask the Lord. Just simply say, Lord, would you just... You know that I'm feeling a little bit inadequate about this, but Lord, would you make it happen today? Lord, here I am. I just want to be here for you. And you know what? He really will. He will surprise you as to how he can use you just to help make a difference in someone else's life. But look, Pete, moving on, um, there's another dimension to this word cosmos, to this world that we're talking about, that we're not to love that we're not to be part of. And this is the one that John is referring to in these verses, of course. For this is an evil system, opposed to God, and alienated from God, organised under the dominion of Satan. 
This is what John's warning us about here. It's not the world of human beings that God loves. We're to love and share Christ with. This is another type of world here. This is the one where God saying to us through John, don't get involved, don't get entangled in this world. And here in this, these passages, this, these scriptures, John lists and alerts us to three typical features of this world system that will entangle its victims, including you and me, if we're not alert to it. And these are found in those verses I just read, verses 15 and 16. The first one is this, and I want to move through these fairly quickly. Um, the first one is this, the cravings of sinful man. In other words, you know, all that, all that panders to our natural human appetites, that's what it really means. You know, and let's be honest, the world knows how to do that very well, doesn't it? It's very successful of knowing how to pander after our normal human appetites. I mean, just think about this for a minute. How many billions of dollars do Australians owe in credit card debt, for example? For you see, the cravings, the cravings continue to crave. And they're never satisfied. It always wants more. So these are the cravings of sinful man. And it can mean everything, everything and anything in the world, anything from food to possessions to sexual gratification. It can mean all of these things. One commentator describes this feature as the outlook orientated towards the self. That which pursues its own ends in self-sufficient independence of God. Any cravings that we have outside of Christ, you know, Scripture says that we're to crave pure spiritual milk, crave the things of God. I want to say this morning, and I believe this is part of the alerts that we have here in the Scripture, that, that any cravings that we have outside of Christ, folks, will never be, will never be satisfied. Never be satisfied. Just ask the woman at the well in John 7 and John chapter 4. Until she met the Lord Jesus Christ, nothing satisfied the thirst that she had in her heart. Though she tried, nothing satisfied until she met Jesus. And you know, the world promises satisfaction. It promises uh, fulfillment, success. And it delivers emptiness and hopelessness. And John says to us in verse 7, Dear children of chapter 3, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Um, we need to be alert to the whispers of the world. We need to be alert even to the shouts of the world and from its media. Shouts that says, you need this. You need to be like that person, like this celebrity. You need to be like her, like him. You need this thing, you need that thing. If you're going to make it, you need, you need, you need what the world offers. And wouldn't it be nice? You know, this stuff. But the Lord Jesus says this on the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to these magnificent words of his. He says this, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that magnificent scripture? 
Don't be like them. You don't need this. You don't need that. Your heavenly Father already knows what you need before you even ask him. A typical second feature of this world system that John alerts us to is the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. In other words, I see it, I want it, I'll have it. And doesn't the world just make it so easy for us to fall into that trap? I see it, I want it, I'll have it. This whole attitude is as old as Adam and Eve. In fact, it was Eve who saw the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, as you know. The scripture said about her, it was pleasing to the eye. And she took it. Gave it to Adam, he took it. David saw Bathsheba bathing. Lust took over and he took her. And disaster led to disaster, as we know the story from that. You see, the eyes are often the source of desire. Our minds are aroused by what we see. Guys, my brothers here this morning, we all need to be so alert to this. For example, the dangers and the ease of access to pornography to the sexually explicit stuff that we are bombarded with these days, we need to be so alert to that stuff. You fear for your kids? <laughs> Lord, we just need your help. And we have the victory of the cross, I know that, but we need to be alert to these things. As John's talking about, the lust of the eyes, it's there. It's part of our human makeup. It's part of our fallenness. So we need to be alert to this, so alert to the potential harm that lusting after anything in this world can do. You know, I don't, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I think the older we get, and I think the more we desire to love the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, the more that seems to me that temptations come. Do you, do you find that? The older we get, the more you want to really be with the Lord and you, you desire Him and you want to love the Lord. It just seems the temptations seem to hit you harder. We've got to be alert to that. We've got to be able to resist that in the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus. Colossians, Paul writing the Colossians, he says this, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking. Listen to what he says. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Listen to this. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Powerful words. We need to be alert and put these things into action. Third thing, a third typical feature that we find in this passage of Scripture that I just read, uh, and speaking about the world system that John alerts us to, is the boasting of what he has and does. The boastings. This is about life's empty pride. It really is empty, isn't it? William Barclay describes such a person as a braggart. Have you met braggarts? People who just brag? What's wrong with that person? Why do they need to brag? If you know Jesus and you've got your feet planted solid in him, you don't need to brag. Brag about him. But there's nothing to brag about outside of him. And Barclay talks about this person. He says, 
It's one who lays claims to possessions and to achievements which may not have even belonged to him. And he does those things to exalt himself. I guess that's the whole aim of bragging is to kind of lift yourself up, exalt yourself. And you know, what a contrast this attitude is as to how, to how the believer in Christ is called to view his life and possessions. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy on that note. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Isn't that true? But to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You know, our possessions, whatever they are, are his gifts to us. And we are to be his stewards, to enjoy them and to use them to exalt the Lord, not ourselves. And so the Apostle John writes to us and he says, Dear children, this fellow brother and sisters, his fellow brothers and sisters, he wants to alert them. He wants to alert us by saying, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray with this stuff that we're talking about. He says, don't, you know, don't fall into deception by loving this world. Because the reality is when all is said and done, it's passing away. You wouldn't invest in a sinking ship, would you? Don't invest in a sinking world. Don't fall into deception by loving this world which is passing away because John says this in verse 17, the world and its desires pass away. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. So, so putting this simply, if you, if you want to live forever and be with God, then don't love the world which is passing away and everyone who loves the world will pass away with it. Love God, live with him. You'll be eternal with him. Love God who remains forever. Work with him and do his will. That's really what he's saying here. Be alert. Don't let anyone lead you astray. Or as John says in verse 26, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. You see, because he also says in verses 18 and 19, he says, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know that it is the last hour. For they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belong to us interesting passage of scripture and I won't have the time to keep but it's just interesting when you think of John when you think of Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus said many little, and Pastor Darrell spoke about this last week where he said many will come to me saying Lord Lord didn't we do this didn't we do that in your name and what did Jesus say to them at the end he said depart from me I never knew you I never knew you. They never had a relationship with Christ. And this is what John's talking about here. These are the people that never had any relationship with Christ. They weren't saved, lost their salvation, found it again. Because, see, Jesus said, I never knew you. I'm kind of harping on a little bit, but I just want you to think about that. If they had been saved and then lost their salvation, 
got it back again. Then Jesus would have said, well, once I knew you, but now I don't. But he said, I never knew you. So they're never saved. They were not with Jesus in the first place. Even though they wore all the religious trappings and said all the religious words, they were not his. Do you, do you know what I mean by that? Probably raving on a bit, but you know what I mean? So here John alerts his people to this theological fact. And that's what we need to note here. It's a theological fact that we are in the last days. That we're in, as John says, the last hour. And it's important to note that John is not suggesting that he knows any particular time scale. He's not suggesting that he knows a particular date. You see, because he himself was there when he heard Jesus say these words and, told, and plainly told them in these particular scriptures. Mark 13, for example, verse 32, Jesus says these things. He says, no one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, which is pretty amazing, but only the Father. And then just before Jesus ascended in Acts, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 7, he said this, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. I just want to say this, that Folks, we need to be alert, we need to be wary of anyone who says that they know the day Christ will return, that they know the day that the world will end. And you and I know, we don't need to be reminded, that we know many who have said those very things, don't we? We know people, well maybe not personally, but we know those who have said, those who have prophesied, those who have predicted these events, only to be shown up as the false prophets that they are. And they're around today. And they'll be around until Christ returns. But also as believers, we need to be alert to the fact that we are in the last days. That we're in the end times, the last hour, as John says. And we need to be ready. Do you hear this? If you hear nothing else, hear this. We need to be ready for when that day comes, when Christ will return. You need to be ready. What does it mean to be ready? It means simply this, that you know the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have come to that place in your life where you know that you're a sinner because the Bible says that you are. And you have said to Jesus, I believe you died on that cross for me. You did it for me, Lord Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for shedding your blood. Thank you that you've forgiven me of my sin and I receive you as Lord and Saviour. Thanks, Lord, I'm yours and you're mine. Then you're ready. That's what it means to be ready. That's what it means to be ready. To walk with Jesus, to walk in his ways, to have that relationship with him so that on that day you will never hear Jesus say to you, depart from me, I never knew you. You won't hear him say that to the person who has asked Christ to be his saviour, Lord. You'll hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what you'll hear him say. You're ready, you see. <clears throat> but look, if I've just said some stuff and you're saying, but hey, that's not me. If this isn't the case for you, then you need to know by the biblical definition, not by mine, but by the biblical definition that you're not ready. That you're not ready. And as that little bumper sticker used to say years ago, he's coming ready or not. He's coming whether you're ready or not, but you need to be ready. And if you're not ready, then perhaps you're here today. Who knows if you are not here today? 
because God wants you to be ready. Who knows if you are not here amongst this congregation this morning. God's brought you here because he knows that you're not ready. And I just want to invite you, please talk with someone before you leave here today so that you can be absolutely assured that you will be absolutely ready if that day comes for you. Notice too the distinction, let me keep moving on. Um, Notice the distinction that John makes between the Antichrist who is coming and many Antichrists, plural, who are already here both in his day and in our day today, in our world today. And just to say briefly, because given our time here, um, the main difference is that with the one, with the one, let me explain that, in, in Matthew 24, Jesus spoke about this. He said that there would be false Christs. He said there would be false prophets. He said they will appear and they will perform many great signs and miracles and so on and so forth. In, in Matthew 24, Jesus said those things. And then we have Paul on the other side of the coin, talking about the Antichrist. Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4. He talks about a man of lawlessness, a man of lawlessness, who will even set himself up and proclaim himself as God. Do you see the main difference? That's the Antichrist. And we're going to be talking more about him as we go through this series, and particularly when we get into Revelation. But that's the main difference. And here John alerts us about these antichrists, these preachers of falseness, these false teachers that are already in the world, and they're in our world today. And briefly, he, re- he, he reveals how to recognise them. And it's so important that we recognise these false teachers, these antichrists. Let me go through it quickly. First one. He says, they have left the fellowship of true believers. This is how we recognise these antichrists. They have left the fellowship of true believers. Verse 19. They may have left the fellowship, but they still had contact with believers. We need to be aware of that even today. Two, secondly, they deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who became flesh and who dwelt among us. They deny that stuff. Verse 22. They try to deceive believers and lure them away. Verse 26. Be wary of those who are trying to lure you out of the fellowship, out of your denomination, whatever it is. Be wary of those who are offering you something else. Listen to what the Spirit of God is saying to your heart. The Spirit of God witnesses with your spirit that you are a child of God. You need to listen to the Spirit of God. I'm getting into the antidote of this thing. But... So thirdly, they try to deceive believers and they try to lure them away. Verse 26, as I've mentioned a number of times. So the antidote to these antichrists that John gives, and it's my paraphrase, is this. Be alert. Be alert. Remain in him. Remain in the Lord Jesus Christ. And let the truth, by the power of the Holy Spirit, remain in you. Verses 20 to 27. We need to, folks, we need to be listening to the Lord Jesus immersing yourself in him and then in verse 28 of John 2 we have these words and now dear children look at these words continue in him remain in him continue in him so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming do you get that 
Remain in him, continue in him, immerse yourself in him. And I love how, and I'm going to close with these words, these wise words, these words of wise counsel from Warren Wearsby. Listen to what he says as I close now. He says, of course, one of the greatest incentives to holy living is the imminent coming of Jesus Christ. How tragic that some Christians who have not been abiding, fellowshipping with Christ will be ashamed when he returns. That's what he says. He goes on, he says this. If Christians desire to have fellowship with Christ, if we need to take on board the alerts that we have here, that God gives us through his word, he said they must obey the word. Love God's people and believe the truth. Whenever sin enters, the Christian must immediately confess it and claim God's forgiveness. We must spend time in the word. So important. I hope you're hearing these words today. We must spend time in the word. We must learn the truth and let the truth take hold of the inner person. It's not enough to talk about Christian life. We must practice it. That's what he says. You see... Folks, it's about working with God. It's about walking with God and not being led astray because there are forces out there in human body form who are trying to lead you astray. Listen to what Jesus says. Abide in him. Continue in him. He in you. Obey the word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the message of this grand old saint who's with you in glory today. Thank you for the Apostle John. Thank you that you spared his life to when he was nearly 100 years old from what we understand. Thank you for these, this anxious sermon that he gives. And Lord, it is an anxious sermon. It's so important that we take heed of the alerts and the warnings that you give us. You love us so deeply. And we know there are forces, very powerful forces out there all around us, Lord, that are trying to snatch us away. They're trying to lure us away. They're trying to seduce us, Lord, into following them and not you. So, Lord, help us, we pray, to be alert to these warnings that you give us. Help us to immerse ourselves in you. Help us to stand firm in the truth, Lord. Help us to abide in you, to remain in you, to continue in you. And, Father, help us to be people who can also enable each other. Lord, watching out for each other, praying for one another caring for each other. Help us, Lord, we pray, to be the people you want us to be. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time we've shared together this morning. Help us to know how that applies to each of us personally. And we commit ourselves to you with thankful hearts in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks, church. Bless you.